Welcome everybody to the 49th episode of Chelsea Against the World, the podcast that brings together an American and an Englishman to discuss all things Chelsea Football Club. I'm your host Manny. And I'm your host Simon. Manny, it's Sunday. We've had a weekend. It's been a great week. I've been working this weekend. I don't know about (laughs) you, but it's been a weekend for sure. It has been a weekend. Um, Before we start talking about football and like other things... I have to say, this has been the craziest weekend of sport for me, personally, I can remember, outside of Chelsea. It's been ridiculous. Yeah, so expand upon that. I mean, I know we have a lot to talk about, but in terms of upsets and, and crazy weekend, how, what, explain that to the American audience for an Englishman. Okay, so for an Englishman, twofold today. So firstly, something that happened is less crazy, but still very significant. In the cricket this morning, Test Cricket England are currently playing India on tour in India and India, you know, are just invincible at home. And England pulled out a victory this morning when I woke up at 6am, which was one of the most unlikely victories you've ever seen. They So essentially how it works in cricket, to give a quick overview, is that each team bats twice. And this is test cricket, right? Test cricket, yeah. so my favourite. They bat twice. England batted first and got a terrible score. India batted in their first inning and got a really good score. Then England just went on the charge in the second inning. A player called Ollie Popes nearly scored 200. Just among the most unbelievably composed displays you'll ever see. And then they bowled out in India for 200 this morning. India have never lost a test match at home with that disparity of a lead early on. And... We've talked about this previously. I know that you don't have to be a cricket lover to understand the nature of the turnaround in this England Test team. We were miserable. We won, I think, won two games in a year. And Ben Stokes is the new captain, and Brendan McCullum, who's the new coach, just said we're just going to change everything. We're going to play without fear, and they just don't lose. And that was that's sort of a strategy that's done them well in Test cricket, but not so well in ODI. Correct? No, it's a very different format of the game, and like. To be honest, the, a few months before, even a few months before, England came back off winning the 2020 World Championship and they've just completely flop-sided to the other side where Test cricket was terrible. Now it's amazing and the one-day game is now awful. <laughs> yeah. It's like really interesting to try and get it right. India is really, the, and Australia, the only two countries who managed to balance it well. But to me, Test cricket is like the amazing format of the game and just I, I just get so excited watching this team play. And speaking of Australia... That was probably the other biggest upset of the, of the day as well. In cricket, for sure. In the, uh, they were playing the West Indies at home in Australia. And West Indies haven't won a game in Australia since 1997. And they've got a team of teenagers who've barely played together. And Australia are still ranked the number one test team in the world. And West Indies rolled them over earlier. Amazing day so far. So two huge cricket upsets today. But there was a huge one yesterday that sort of reverberated all throughout England. Explain that to our fans. Yes, in the FA Cup yesterday, this is straight out of Ted Lasso. Actually, no, this is not not even close to Ted Lasso. I know you're a big Ted Lasso fan because you're sitting here with a Ted Lasso shirt in front Richmond of Richmond FC, baby. Yeah, yeah, the, the big <laughs> club. So a few episodes ago on the podcast, I mentioned that my hometown is Maidstone and um, Maidstone United is the non-league football team that play in the town and they are in the sixth tier of English football. So they are, I think two rungs below two or three rungs below league football and they beat league one Stevenage in the last round and they got a, a way tie against Ipswich 
at Portman Road and Ipswich are flying high in the championship very likely to yeah, be in the Premier two. League yeah. very likely to be in the Premier League last next season and I presume that a lot of people watched it but if you didn't Mason United beat them yesterday at Ipswich 2-1 this is the biggest shock in my lifetime in any sport in any sport that I've ever watched the disparity between the two teams in terms of finances ability stadium we have an online Chelsea player who played yesterday. Amari Hutchinson played for Ipswich, who's on, imagine, about thirty or £40,000 a week. That's collectively more than most of these players probably earn in a year playing for Maidstone. Maidstone were dominated the entire game, but they scored two of the most brilliant goals you've seen. And I can't tell you how big an upset this is. It's, I, I think the, the last time this has happened in the FA Cup was in the 1977-78 season, where a team from that lower down has won a game in this round against a team like this. It is beyond shocking. Beyond sh- I couldn't believe what I was watching yesterday. And interesting enough, I, we, we talked, I told you to watch it because I was up at 6.30am in Nashville yesterday watching it. And I was up also working, but I was yeah. going to throw it on. And we, we were both messaging each other during the game. And that first goal, what a chip. Unbelievable. What a chip. That's like a Premier League style chip right there. The pressure as well, because the thing is that we've talked about this with Chelsea players. When they have time to think about what they're going to do, they fuck it up in a lot of cases. This guy was through on goal. And he the audacity to do that chip over the goalkeeper was unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. And I thought, well, you know what? They're probably... I said, I said to you yesterday, I thought Ipswich would win this 10-0. And the fact they even got a shot on goal is staggering. And Ipswich equalised, and then they took the lead and won. I it's mean, just unbelievable. And just for our listeners out there, in terms of the stats, Ipswich seventy-eight percent possession, thirty-eight total shots, thirteen shots on goal, six big chances, an XG of three point seven to Maidstone, twenty-two percent possession, two shots on goal, two goals. <laughs> Wait, two total shots, both of them on on target, and both of them being goals. And that's just that's crazy. And their their XG was zero point eight. There you go. It's uh, it's just wild. It's it's a wild wild story. And I you know I think there was a lot of tweets going about it. And we were messaging each other. And I was telling Simon I was like a huge I've been a Maidstone United fan for for life for a good eighty four minutes yesterday <laughs> during the game. Uh, and it was impressive. It was interesting the, the away stand just go nuts after the game, and then the players celebrating, and then on Twitter you see what them in the locker room and stuff like that. It would have meant to the town. It would have meant to the players. This is why the FA Cup is special. And I don't think us Americans understand how special it is. No, it's staggering. And you know what? I think a lot of people question the value of the FA Cup. Stuff like this never happens in any other sport, in any other competition. With Just the opportunity for a team like Maystone to, to go through the early rounds. Because they, they start earlier than everyone else. Yeah, it's like in the summertime, right? Or even yeah, like yeah. the late part of, of like May and June is when they start yeah, these yeah. early rounds. They, do, they have to pre-qualify. And, to the, and for our American fans out there, the two big cups, you know, the Carabao Cup or the League Cup and FA Cup. The Carabao Cup only includes the top four divisions in English football, whereas the FA Cup includes every division, right? Yeah, 758 teams uh, could win it. So if there's, could the music of the City Blues potentially start their own Not club? quite. <laughs> I think we're a bit too elite for that league. But this is the thing. It's like, I was trying to, because I got a lot of messages from all over people from Nashville yesterday saying, just how significant is this? And I just, I can't really put it into words. 
Could you do an American equivalent of this scenario? Yeah, I think one of the biggest upsets that I kind of remember, and you know, I'm a huge college football fan, avid college football fan, would probably be when Appalachia State beat Michigan in Michigan. And mind you, Michigan paid Appalachia State $400,000 to come play them. It's supposed to be like an easy win. And Appalachia State sort of defied all odds and beat them with the last-minute field goal, and it was like the biggest upset in college football. I think in my in my like since I've been watching it. Is that accurate though? Because at least college football, they play in the same yeah, realm, right. don't they? Well, I think it's like different divisions. But yeah, I think if you're talking about like six different tiers, it'd have to be like Appalachia State playing the Cowboys or something, right. or the Giants, you know, or maybe the Panthers. They kind of suck, you yeah. know. But it's, <laughs> yeah. probably, probably in that 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 sense. Uh, but I don't think you can really equivocate, you know, from a top championship level team to six division divisions down in terms of like you know it'd be like maybe a single a baseball team beating the yankees or something like that i think that's probably a a good a comparison but even then i think it's there's only two division below yeah it's it's staggering and just from a and i will move on in it shortly but just from a personal level my first ever football match that i went to see was maidstone united game in 1991 against Halifax Town where they lost 1-0 and this was in the old Division 4 so this is when Mason were actually in the Football League so they weren't non-league it was on I don't remember much but I remember being the most fucking boring game that I've ever seen in my life (laughs) but just a staggering story staggering story and this is the thing we don't know what we're recording just before the draw so we don't know where we're going to end up with this if it is a sensible time, we will be doing a watch party, a Chelsea against the world sponsored watch party for the Maidstone United FA Cup game. So anyone in Nashville who wants to experience some of the magic of the FA Cup with us, we'll have details for it soon. Hopefully, when it's not, hopefully not a six thirty a.m. kickoff yeah. again. Yeah, I think the other important thing with Maidstone, I kind of sort of went over their website and I took it to a home game. Only cost three pounds. Yeah, quite quite affordable. You know, yeah, yeah. imagine paying you know it's equivalent to five bucks here in the U.S. to go to a game. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean that's kind of what you're looking at in terms of pricing. Moving on to Chelsea, we had our nil nil draw at home with Aston Villa La on Friday, so we will be going to a replay at Villa Park in a couple of weeks' time. Before we dive into the game, we did actually have some listener questions, um, and this might tie in a little bit nicely to it. So. I've got a couple of questions for us both. Perfect. Okay, so Manny, our friend Michael has sent us a message regarding Conor Gallagher. So he said, if Tottenham offer us £80 million for Conor Gallagher, will you be mad about selling him to a local rival? I, I would accept it in a heartbeat. £80 million is a lot of money. Uh, that's a lot of money. My, my my heart would be upset, but mine would be like, we need this for, for you know, for financial fair play. Um, it'd be tough for him to leave you know, it'd be like it'd have to be this week if you're if you're looking at it, especially with you know our midfield sort of on thin ice with Lavia still out, Ugochukwu. We don't know when he's going to come back, and we just have really two good, healthy you know midfielders. Maybe Carney can play in that advanced role and just be Enzo and Kaiseta there in the double pivot. But eighty million pounds is a lot of money, and I think if you're, if, I mean, you know, the, the, the verbiage is already out there about him being, if he's not going to resign, I, I, I would put this, if he's not going to resign with Chelsea, because he needs to resign, right? Then I would sell him for 80 million pounds. Here's my take. If anyone, if anyone is dumb enough to offer us 80 million pounds for Conor Gallagher, I'll bite your hand off. What, 80 million euros? How about 80 million euros? I mean, the exchange rate is pretty poor at the moment, <laughs> yeah, so it's basically the same. Is, it, is that what Brexit? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Listen, 
I don't think it's going to happen. No. I don't think it's going to happen. But £80 million for Conor Gallagher is insane price tag. What about £50 million? Pounds? I would take it. £50 million? I would take it. And I don't care who, who it is because this is the thing. I like Gallagher. He's won me over a lot this year. However, for what he offers, I feel that money is irresistible. I think it's irresistible. Eighty million and fifty million as well, because See, like for my my standing, this is the thing I always have about Gallagher. I think he has a ceiling that's lower than a lot of our other players, and I've heard talk that he's going to demand one hundred and fifty grand a week to sign a new contract. And to be honest, his skill set for me that is not worth it. That is not worth it for someone who essentially is the energy of the team, where. But- if you compare it to some of the other players who have just a, a better a amount of quality. Yeah, this is the thing though, right? I don't know about 50 million and this is why because when, when, when you have Connor Gallagher, you can't really set a price tag on somebody's ability to play in every single game, right? And that's what he's been doing. And that's what he, I mean, he's not had an injury ever since he's been at Chelsea. You didn't see him on long spells and so he's consistently able to start for Chelsea, which we haven't had a midfielder that can do that in the past couple of years, right? Outside of Jorginho. He's probably the only midfielder yeah. that we've had that had, can consistently start. N'Golo Kante, always hurt. Kovacic, always hurt. Mason Pound, always hurt, right? Ruben lost his cheek when he was in the midfield, always hurt. You know, what do we have right now? Enzo can get hurt. Uh, Caicedo, always playing, in, you know, o- overseas and at home, and then he gets tired and stuff like that. He'd probably get hurt too. Lavia hurt. Ugochukwu hurt. So he's so he's always consistent in our starting lineup, and, and I don't know, man. I think eighty million, yeah, fifty million now. That'd be my answer. Yeah, fifty million in the summer, I would. Yeah, yeah, in the summer, I would. If he right resign, now, if he I think no. If, if he doesn't resign, then I, I would say fifty million. But yeah, now I don't know. So we have a second question, and this comes from Meg on our Instagram channel. It says, "I detect an anti-Cobham bias from you two, particularly Simon. Is that something that's real?" and do you value finances more than our Cobham talent? It's a very good question, Meg. And I also detect an anti-Cobham bias from Thomas with you, Sam. I don't, I don't know if I detect that. I think, I think for me, it's not really anti-Cobham. I think it's more of like counteracting people that are saying that we have to keep our Cobham talent at all cost. If that means that's going back to Tammy Abraham, going back to Mason Mount, going you know Ruben Loftus Cheek. Tamori, all these players that we felt that when we lost or sold, that it was beca- we're, we're gutting Cobham. And I think to counteract that point, I, I don't know if it's anti-Cobham. It's more like, like, hey, you know, these players, yeah, they're in our academy, but you should not have a sort of attachment to them, especially when it comes to business. And so that's my perspective on it. You know, I think when we look at Connor Gallagher, I think part of it is that Cobham bias that we want to keep him, you know, at all points. And I think that's all the same with Brogia, right? It's more so with Brogia now, right? Yeah. You see uh, a lot of these fans saying that we should keep Brogia no matter what because he's one of our Cobham Academy players. But no, he's only scored two goals in the last two years. It, at some point, you have to think about it as a business. So it's not more anti-Cobham in terms of, in my, in my perspective, uh, it's more about like you know looking at history and, and looking at people being upset about what we've done in the past. Yeah, I, I mean I can't speak for you, um, but I feel that our views are pretty aligned on this. I don't have an anti-Cobham bias. I think it's an absurd assertion. I have a <laughs> realistic Cobham bias, and this is the reason why I think academies, if you look at the way they're designed, their number one goal is to not bring every player through. That is not what they're used for. 
we were stuck in a situation with the transfer ban when Lampard was took charge where we had no option but to look inwardly at Cobham to bring them into the first team. And the thing is that you have to be good enough. You have to be good enough. I struggle to think of the players that broke through. There's not many of the players that broke through under Lampard in that year who we've moved on who've got better. I don't think there's that many. And you have to say that some of these players have a ceiling. And the way that academies are brought up is that the expectation is one or two might break through and might get a shot. The rest are there to be sold. It's a revenue generator. That's what it is for. That's why Abramovich did it for years. Think about how, like one of the main criticisms Abramovich had when he was owner of Chelsea was that no Chelsea player besides John Terry got through to the to the to the from the youth team into the into the first team until we had to bring them through. And I just yeah, I, in my mind, we still give more Cobham talent debuts than most other Premier League top Premier League teams even to give them like a few minutes at the end of League Cup games and stuff like that. But unfortunately, some of these players are not good enough. Like Broya, in particular, in my mind, is, has a ceiling and I don't think he's anywhere near the quality of striker that we need for Chelsea. And I, I would throw Gallagher in that, in that, in that bracket as well. I mean, look at, look at Man City, right? They won the treble last year and I could probably name two players on their starting lineup that came from the academy, Phil Foden and... Uh, Akanji maybe did he, did he think, no he was bought from Dortmund bought? yeah so I mean probably Phil Fulton's the only player yeah, yeah. I mean, Bob is the other person yeah, yeah. from there but he even, he's probably not plucked from he was probably plucked from a different academy yeah and brought in this is the whole thing yeah so I, I mean and that's what we did also well we got Carney Chukwameka from another academy yeah. and so we're doing that as well so yeah I, I could and I think you're right I mean if you look at our starting lineup there probably is only two players that in the beginning of the year that are from our, our, our from Cobham, that's, uh, you know, Gallagher and Reese James. Levi Colwell. Levi Colwell, yeah. Three. Um, three. Um, and so that's more than probably other teams, right? Arsenal. Vast majority. Yeah, Arsenal, I think, Bukayo Saka. And that's it. That's it, right? Tottenham? Man, who, who are theirs? Oliver Skip. Yeah, Oliver Skip, yeah. I don't even Everyone know. else has been bought in. Yeah, Man U. I can, maybe Rashford is the only one. Rashford, yeah. yeah. Garnacho, but again, he was plucked from a different country. Yeah. And then you look at, yeah. I think we, we do a better job than most of the teams, but like, it's definitely not anti-Cobham bias, I think. But I think Come it's on. because it's more that Cobham just produces a lot of talent. I mean, if you look at top academies in the world, Barcelona, Ajax, Cobham, um, you know, those are probably your top three. Dortmund probably has a good academy as well that, yeah. that just produce talent from a, from a young standpoint. And I think that we're probably, in England, probably have the best academy. I think Man is probably getting up there too now. Yeah, for sure. So, great questions. If you do have any questions for us, please do reach out to us on our Instagram. We're on CATW Podcast and Twitter as well. And if you want to email us with any questions, that was really cool to get to our first load of email and uh, slack questions in. So, thank you so much for sending them in, Michael and Meg. So, moving back to Friday where we drew nil-nil with Aston Villa at home and we've got a replay at Villa Park. What are your thoughts of the game? Yeah, I think it started with the starting lineup. I think we both expected... Um, Levi Cole to play, especially with Chilwell having a full uh, starting in the, in the last last game against uh, was it Fulham, right? Yeah. And so we didn't expect him to play the full ninety, and then finally uh, see um, Cole starting the left fullback position, but he got hurt in, in the warmups. Then you saw Alfie Gilchrist, you know, with the start another start in the FA Cup. So backline: Badia Shil, Silva, Desasi with Gilchrist, Petrovic in goal, midfield of Fernandez and Caicedo, 
Top four, Sterling, Maitoweke, Palmer, and Gallagher in the advanced 10 role. I was surprised about that. Yeah, it's a strange one. I wondered if Brozier was going to get a start. And yeah, I think we Pochettino adjusted. I have to say, I thought we played really well. Yeah, yeah, especially in the first half and parts of the second half as well. I mean, you can t- see that the plan for our counter-pressing is there, especially when you have four very active attacking players and midfielders that can just press the hell out of um, out of the other team. And we did that. You know, in the last last game um, against Middlesbrough, we won six one, and we did it again this game. And there were chances there for us to go ahead in the first half from our counter pressing. Yeah, I think you have to the some of the extenuating circumstances as well. The fact that we played a few days before, and Aston Villa had been off what for twelve days. Yeah, and we looked like the most energetic. I thought we would. Look, I thought we looked outstanding in that first half. And I thought our midfield of Enzo and Caicedo were just unbelievable. Brilliant. Brilliant. And Enzo's passing was just yeah. wicked, man, in the first half. It was just amazing. Like, he put a great ball in for Palmer, put a good ball in for uh, for Connor as well, and Sterling. Him and Sterling were leaking it very well on the left side. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, we lacked the killer edge up top, but I think Palmer, Madueke, and Gallagher, I think Gallagher did really well. That high energy that far up the pitch is it's difficult to deal with, but... Unfortunately, we just couldn't get that that finish. It was interesting, though, before they made the substitution with Ben Chilwell. If you saw the way Chelsea was lining up, especially when they had possession of the ball, you never saw Batty Shield sort of stay advanced. He stayed in that sort of left center back position. So when we had possession, we actually moved into a, a back three with Gilchrist playing very far up in advance. And I thought he was great in that right fullback role as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think he, he might offer a bit more there than De Sassi does. That's yeah, right him and Nani were just taking Tillemans and Moreno to, to school on that left side, or that, their left side, our right side. And that was basically a full strength of Lederman for Aston Yeah, I think they're missing like Pau Torres. Yeah, well. yeah. There are a few players are missing. But I thought our midfield, like everyone was raving about their midfield. And I thought until the second half where we did start to tire, I thought we would just, we just bossed it. Absolutely bossed it. Um, what do you think about some of the missed chances in the first half? Yeah, I think uh, Nani had a good chance to score. Um, that was a great pass to him, and he just couldn't get around get get around Emmy Martinez. And then Cole Palmer, great job with his counter pressing, got possession of the ball from a missed pass from their center back, and I mean had a chance to score one v one against Emmy. We have to score there, didn't happen. And then obviously Sterling had a great run into the box, an incredible run into the box, and then had a pass to Nani. We couldn't score in the first half. There are three really big chances in the first half. We could we could have went up. One one of those had to go in. Yeah. Similar story to to earlier in the season. Actually, I think that we looked really, really fluid. The form I thought Sterling was sensational. Oh, he was awesome. Stuff. That that pass through to Palmer when he cut it back and wasn't sure if it was Madueke or the defender that flicked it into to Martinez. But goalkeeper played very well for them. And I think if well, their their goalkeeper is the best player in the half. I think that says a lot about how the the team is playing. And if you see this Chelsea team, they're actually playing pretty well against these teams that play a high line. You know, our Silva is incredible at his long passing when people are making runs. Enzo as well, and so is Caicedo. And to beat these player, these teams that play a sort of a high line, you have to have incredible defensive mid and center backs that can pass these long balls in. And when they can't, you have to have a good interchange with the midfield. And I thought we did an incredible job that in the first half. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, I mean, Martinez, man, he's such a great sweeper keeper when he's playing a high line. He came out and he made incredible... He made great decisions to come out and play the ball when there was a good run going in for him. He's the perfect goalkeeper for that system, actually. I think I think I underrated him slightly, actually. I think he 
I mentioned this to one of our friends. I feel that you notice him too much because he's a bit of a clown and a bit of a joker. But wow, he does those things very well. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Villa are flying high this year because of him. Yeah, I think him and Vicario are probably in the top top two goalkeepers that are in that sweeper position that can just come up, especially how high line that Villa and Tottenham both play. Yeah. Second half... We ran out of steam. Probably yeah, you can see the fatigue. Yeah. I think it was the fatigue, especially the counter pressing. You could saw Connor was getting tired, Palmer was getting tired, Nani also as well. And then I think when we made that, you know, I was happy that Chilwell came in on paper, but when you when he came in, you, it moved Batty Shaw in that left center back position. And man, anytime he had possession of the of the ball, it, it kind of reminded me of Sanchez. You know, when he had possession of the ball, I get nervous now with Batty Shaw having the ball. And he made you know a couple poor decisions in, in terms of passing or whatnot, that almost let Villa go on the break and go against us. I don't know. I just don't know what happened. what's happening with him. Looks low on confidence to me, I think. And I mentioned this to you. Maybe we noticed him being a beacon in a terrible team last year. That maybe he, this is like, maybe we've over-egged his ability a little bit. I, I'd like to think that there's a lot there. I, think I see it, a lot of raw abilities that are very, very good. But it seems like his, he's overthinking being on the ball too much and that comes from a lack of confidence and also like you know he's coming back from injury you know that 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 in itself is kind of difficult when you haven't played that many minutes on the pitch this yeah. whole season and two you're shifting positions from a left fullback or left center back position now in you know the center position in a back four you know and I think so he's interchanging these positions in, in the same game can kind of get to you mentally not knowing who your outlets are maybe that's it yeah and also you can't discount for that the fact that Villa are quite a good team, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like the way that they play encourages teams to make mistakes. And this is this is a bit of a gripe that I have with ESPN again. Let's talk about ESPN again. When Chelsea have played well over the last few weeks, or you know, missed chances or not or scored goals, they said, "Well, they've come from mistakes. They've come from mistakes." But the way you press high encourages your the other team to make mistakes. That's part of the strategy. I just I can't believe that. That analysis is just made without even thinking. Well, they came from mistakes. Well, Mourinho, when he was in charge of Chelsea, says how you win a game is by making less mistakes than the other team. Every goal is a mistake. You can pick a mistake somewhere. So why is that a valid argument for Chelsea being terrible? Yeah, I don't just, get it at all. It's just ESPN in general. Even like, I mean, I mentioned this. I'm not a big fan of Martin Tyler. I know you're a big fan of him, or or were when you know before now. And I thought. Part of the commentary in the beginning, especially in, in like the first ten minutes when Silva was booked for a yellow, I mean that was not a foul on him. You know he was the one that got his ankle uh, taken out uh, by McGinn, and it should have been a yellow card the other way. But none of the commentators even mentioned that, and the replay was clear right then and there. You know, it's just like, oh yeah, yellow card, it was deserved. I was like, no, it wasn't. It's it's completely the opposite. And then just a delay. I know the goal was taken away, but there's just like a delay in, in announcing the goal. And Villa have scored a goal. Yeah. You know, I'm just like... <laughs> Don't get too excited, yeah, Martin. It's like, are we, are we playing bingo? <laughs> you know, C, 34, B, 5... <laughs> Game's not important enough. Yeah, it it's just like exciting. it puts me to sleep. I don't know. I just, I mean, I'm a sucker for good commentary and good action and stuff like that. And and him and John Champion just put me to bed. You know, this is the thing. I wonder why people get addicted to going to games, especially Chelsea games. And like a lot of my childhood and like later on in my teens and stuff when I was still in England was going to Chelsea games. And one of the pleasurable things about it is not hearing shit commentary. And there's just, it feels like there's an abundance. Of, maybe I just notice it more now, but I feel the quality of the announcing for for English football is just terrible at the moment. 
really, really terrible. That I feel that it's like you notice the good ones rather than noticing the shit ones because the good ones are so few and yeah. far between. You know, I know people in England probably don't like him, but I love Peter Drury. I think he's very poetic. I think maybe sometimes in England you guys think he talks a little bit too much. And he's too you know, wordy and stuff theatrical. like that or theatrical. Yeah, I kind of, I appreciate that. I'm a, I'm a man for poetry. <laughs> you know, I'm a poet, Simon. <laughs> I, I noticed. <laughs> I, this is the thing. I quite like Peter Drury as well. I think he adds, he, it sounds like he's excited watching it. Yeah. And like, I want the, the commentators to be excited, not in a false way, but understand the significance of the game they're watching. But that's neither here nor there. Who is your... Man of the match. Well, I don't even talk about Petrovic. I mean, I oh, thought, yeah. yeah, he's brilliant <laughs> in the second half. I mean, he's the one that kept us in the game. He had two incredible saves and was really good about his distribution and be- being able to play the ball, especially on set pieces. And I thought he was brilliant. I mean, when you don't notice your goalkeeper and then when you do in, in, in both positive aspects, it's it's great, especially with the issues we've had in the past with Kepa and then with Sanchez making mistakes with his distribution. You don't really see that with Petrovic. And I actually feel calm when I see him in, in, in playing for us. I think our scouting department is on earth an absolute gem, haven't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. Someone mentioned to me me the other day that you could have bought five Petroviches for the price that we paid for Kepa. (laughs) I don't know. That's just, that's wrong. (laughs) I don't don't want to think about that. It's painful, isn't it? It's very, very painful. But but no, he looks, yeah, like going back to to what we made about Martinez in the first half, Petrovich kept in the game in the second and... Fair play, a, a goalkeeper with little to no experience at this top level. It just looks so calm and also so calm and accomplished. I also want to give a good shout out to Gilchrist. I thought he yeah. played phenomenal being able to start at last second, especially against a really good Villa team, a strong Villa team, you know, maybe one or two players, but that's their starting 11 that they'd have. And being able to just play so composed, especially in a position that you're not inclined to, right? He's traditionally a center black, but he's playing a right fullback role and which is just brilliant. And I think his overlapping runs with Matueke was fantastic. Also, it's a sidebar. He wasn't expecting to start until about no. 15 minutes yeah, before. Yeah, exactly. And he was ready, stepped in. Oh, I mean, That boy has energy. He does. Yeah. I wonder how he gets it. I, I, it's hilarious when he was just trying to tell, like, Desasi, you go back. Like, he's pointing at him. <laughs> like, you know, this 18, 17 or 18-year-old kid is telling Desasi and Silva where, where to stand. I, was, I thought it was brilliant. Tiago, I know you're double my age, yeah. but get back in line. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's a great player. Oh, I'm, I'm looking forward to him. Another... Look, we're we're praising a common talent. There you go. Yeah, it's anti anti common bias <laughs> kicking in again. Exactly. No, I think. I mean, I thought. Yeah, draw. I thought was. I think we should have won the game one zero two zero two one. If you want to be fair, but yeah, it would be interesting to see. Um, you know, the 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 next game at Villa Park. It's it's a very tough venue. Yeah, but I fancy us at the moment. Again, like, that's the thing is like against these teams, it's you see the best of us and. I mean, it's going to be very difficult. They're very, like, they haven't lost at home this year, right? So it's we're in for a tough game. But you know what? I'm, I think we would have lost that game earlier on in the season. And I, I see things happening with this team, which is good. Who's your man of the match? I said Petrovic. Yeah. That's fine. I mean, I have to go with him. If, it was, if, if, if not Petrovic, I'd actually have to say, man, Palmer, even though he missed a couple of spots, I thought he was great. I had good vision. Maybe Nani played well too. I know yeah. you didn't think Nani played well. I thought he played well. Poor finishing, but he yeah, he's doing again. He's young. Yeah. He's young. He's going to be inconsistent in areas, but he's getting into the right positions and he causes problems. I just like how he kept attacking uh, Langlet and Moreno on that side. Like they just didn't know what to do with him. Yeah, you know they they were just lost with his speed and his in his direct ability to get into the box. I don't want to give my man of the match to an attacker because it finished nil nil. Yeah, that's true. That's I mean, the I, only reason why I would not give one of the front three 
I still would say Petrovic. Yeah, Petrovic or Gilchrist. Yeah. I think honestly, because that, that what you m- mentioned earlier, the fact that he wasn't expecting to play is huge, and the fact he had the composure at that age to come in and play against a good team. Aston Villa are a very good team and an attack that's flying high, and he looked comfortable and didn't look out of place. Yeah, he. I mean, he was in charge of going after Tillmans and Watkins on that side, right? I mean, that's that's who he basically was playing against. And those were two very very good players. Yeah. How do you rate the managerial performance? Oh, I, I thought it was, it was great. I mean, with with what he had, he he made a good he made good tactical decisions. Counter pressing was pretty pretty impressive. Like that game plan was actually really important because Villa is a team that likes to play it out of the back. As a, a lot of teams now in the Premier League are trying to play out the back, but also with their high line, I thought it was impressive that he said, "All right, make some runs. Let's get these long balls in and see if we can make something out of it." And there were there were chances there to score. So I thought it was great tactical managerial uh, decisions by him today. Same, same. I find the um, universal clamour on Chelsea social media to get rid of Pochettino incredibly boring and just unimaginative. And I I think when you talk about the previous, that clout chasing, I think Pochettino is adjusting to situations and I feel that the team is developing um, and I think he's doing really well. We've had an interesting week in terms of the the team and some significant moments, you'd say. Where are your thoughts on where this team stands at the moment? I think we are teetering now. I would, you know, I think if you asked me a month ago, two months ago, we're lower, lower mid table. I think we're now kind of in that position that we're at now, like almost at nine to six. And that's what you want to see. And I mentioned this in the pods, I think back in September, if we're within eight to 10 points of striking distance of top four, this is kind of where we want to be in this position. And I mentioned that many times because I think once we get these injured players back, specifically in Cuckoo, back you know and gusto back when we have a good 11 that we can field and these other teams are going to be start wavering in europe wavering in, in a congested schedule this is a time for chelsea to sort of go on on the attack is it a turning point i don't think so yet i think you know i still want to see us kind of do it have some good form but i think we're now in that sort of mindset of seeing you know from the ac to like the sixth or fifth seed what about you so you're asking me where this team is now. By every measurable statistic, we're improving. I hear a lot of criticism towards the players and the team, even when we win, that we should be doing better. Well, you know what? We were terrible last year. Absolutely terrible. And we're doing better. We are doing better. Are we where we need to be long term? No, but I think we'll get there. I really do. No, I, I, I see what you're saying. The metrics are there. We're, we're progressing as a team, and that's what you want with the squad. And there's always going to be criticism. The pundits will always say, well, they spent $1 billion. Of course they should be looking at top four, top five. And that, that's, just, that's just noise that you're going to be hearing, and that's part of this Chelsea against the world. You know, yeah. I mean, we were against the pundits, against the other teams. This is what happens. But we are progressing. And this is the thing. I, I, I've got into this with so many people about the, the, the $1 billion spent. Those transfer fees, which we are not paying all up front, you could say that the the total is one billion, but a lot of that is add-ons of things that have not happened yet. The most important thing in finances is your wage bill. In the, in football finances is the wage bill, and we've dramatically cut ours by getting rid of some of the players who were on extortionate wages. Even loaning people like Lukaku and Kepa has taken their wages off the bill. So you can say whatever you want about the one billion spent on new players. Fine. If you want to go that route, let's talk about other finances as well, because we've sold a lot of players as well. We're the top-selling club in in the Premier League in the last decade, right? So let's 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 talk about it with all the facts. 
I agree. This brings us to our next game, Liverpool. What are your thoughts about, you know, Klopp just announced he's not coming back next year. You know, they're playing an FA Cup game today, so it's not their first game after the announcement, but their first Premier League game against us on Wednesday. What are your thoughts about that game? To me, Klopp leaving offers nothing new to the to, to the importance of the game, or I don't think it's going to affect the outcome one little bit. Liverpool play today, so all their fans are going to cry today. You have to go there thinking a point is good enough. Liverpool are top of the league at the moment. They're flying high. They're scoring a lot of goals. I know Salah's not there, but they've still got quality all over the pitch. And whenever you go to Anfield, a point is good. No matter how bad they are and how good we are, I will take it. So I don't know what's going to happen. Probably going to be a draw. Liverpool-Chelsea is always a draw. And, you know, this is built up to the to the League Cup final in a few weeks as well. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I take it. I take a one-one draw. Have you been to Anfield? No, I have actually. That's that's interesting. Oh, that you, you interesting. haven't you haven't been to Anfield, but I have. Yeah, I was no. actually there. Um, God, it was. I don't know. It was years ago when four or five years ago when uh, Liverpool was played Man City in, in the Champions League quarterfinal, oh, and they nice. won three zero. Who were you cheering for? I just I was there as a neutral. I was going with my buddy Dan, and we were doing this whole German. We were actually going to Germany after that, so we actually flew into to London and went to Liverpool just for one game to see Liverpool oh. uh, play uh, Man City. Then we flew to Germany the next day, and I will tell you, it was a wicked, wicked atmosphere. Yeah, I, mean, I heard they piped. The, I heard they piped the crowd yeah, noise exactly. in the speakers. Yeah, exactly. And I think it was like that same week they had just came up with that song "Ale Ale Ale," you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And so that was they're just playing that on. And my, my buddy Dan's like, "Don't they have other songs? <laughs> Don't they have?" <laughs> and interestingly enough, we went to the two game, two stadiums on that trip. Where they played, uh, we will not, we will walk alone or whatever, or never walk alone. You'll never walk alone. You never walk alone. Yeah, yeah. Dortmund and uh, and uh, Anfield. So I saw two renditions. I think the German rendition was much better. Of course it was. Yeah, they're more in sync with their singing. Exactly. You know that accent. Yeah. I have to say that's the most Liverpool compliments I'm ever going to allow us. Yeah, to have I know, I'm sorry. It was, it was it was a fun atmosphere, but it was just a, it was just a, it was you know it's it's a difficult stadium to get to if you're staying in downtown Liverpool. Like yeah. you have to like either walk there or take a bus there. There's not really good transit there and you have to walk across this park, but it was pretty cool seeing how Everton and Liverpool are like separated by this yeah, big park yeah. and whatnot. But yeah, no, it was a fun experience. But I, in terms of going back to the game, I think them not having Mohamed Salah is a big plus for us, us potentially getting Nkuku back. I mean, I don't think he'll start, but he can come off the bench in case we're down a goal in the second half. But having Gusto back, I think is also pretty big too. And yeah. so having two fullbacks that can play a full 90 is important especially uh, against the Liverpool squad and I think I, I I saw the lineup today I thought Alexander Arnold was back on the bench for Liverpool so he may get some minutes today and they may you know could start potentially the next game but the good thing for us is Liverpool are playing today we've had an extra two days of rest yeah. compared to them so that might you know come in come in come in handy for us yeah I'm sure Klopp is going to moan about that at some point but the thing is I actually really happy that Pochettino rested Chilwell on Friday night actually agree because I feel that him at left back is going to be very, very important at Anfield. But for that experience more than anything else, I think Colwell does has got eaten up a couple of times in atmospheres playing at left back. Tottenham, even though he won, he looked shaky and the Anfield atmosphere is going to be difficult for our young team and having Chilwell there, I think is going to be very important. I have a question for you, tactical question. If Gusto is not ready to start because he's just started team training right now and Chilwell is, if you're starting Chilwell at the left fullback position, who is your center back pairing and who's your right fullback? If everyone is, f- if the others are fit. Yeah, but would, Gusto's not fit. Like, okay, he, I would say Disassi at right back and yeah. I would play Tiago and Levi at center back. So Levi over Badisho? Yeah. Okay. 
And I if, think. if Levi is not healthy. Yeah, needs must. It's going to be by the shield again, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? I know, right? Yeah. That, 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 to me, that's sort of shaky, especially with Nunez and Gapko. And, Fuck and, it, actually. And throw Alfie in there. Throw Alfie. <laughs> I, was, I was actually going to say, why don't you start Alfie at right fullback and put DeSassi and Silva starting so, center-back pairing? Yeah, I think... I mean, he seems like he's got got the goods to do deal with it. It's a it's a different Lars playing at Anfield when they're flying high. Yeah, that's true. That's so true. we'll see. But, but he has the energy. I think that's yeah. a, that's a key. And I don't think the Klopp news is going to pay any importance. I think it's more of an interesting dynamic for the cup final. Who's your starting uh, Who's your starting lineup? Then we talked about the back four. Who's Who's going to start in the midfield for you? Ah, it's a tr- tricky question. I think for this game, you have to play Caicedo, Enzo, and uh, Gallagher as the three and. A front three of Sterling, Palmer, and probably Madueke, I think. But I quite fancy unleashing Mudrick against their right back. Really, I think this could be a good game to bring him back in, really. So let's let's be adventurous. Sterling, Palmer, Mudrick. How about you? I would say Nani, Palmer, and Sterling just for the counter-pressing. Um, I think you bring back bring Mudrik and Nkuku off the bench in the second half, and then Brogia also. So, what do you think is going to happen in the game? You think I think it's going to be a one-one draw. I think it's going to be a one-one draw. I think a draw is just what this. I mean, you know, we could be right, you know, ten times out of ten in the last few games. I think it's going to be a draw, one-one, two-two, zero-zero. I hope for a draw. I would love three points. I'd be happy with one. I wouldn't be upset if we lost. Yeah. Well, depending on the the nature Man, of the yeah, yeah, I just don't want to see a red card and you know having yeah. we we lose silver for three games or somebody yeah. you know, some stupid or red Kaisado. card. Kaisado, yeah. So even though we're coming to the end of our podcast, I think we can probably check and see if the FA Cup draw just happened and if we do advance against Villa in the second game of the tie, who are we going to play? We will be playing at home. Okay, nice against Leeds or, or Plymouth. Yeah, and. I know everyone's excited. Maidstone United. Let's have a look. Let's have a look. Maidstone United will be playing away, which is huge, against Sheffield Wednesday or Coventry in the championship. Nice. So that is a big payday for Maidstone. And I was saying to a few people, the win yesterday against Ipswich is going to fund Maidstone United for the next decade, I think. You think so. they'll raise ticket prices from £3 to £5? Oh, I think it could even be steeper than that. Look, why not double it to six? <laughs> six it's like, it's like, what, a pint and a half? <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Chelsea Against the World. Again, we want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in each and every single week. Please follow us on our social media platforms. Simon mentioned them earlier in the podcast, but if you did not listen, it is CATW Podcast, CATW Podcast. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And also, if you've got any emails for us, email us at podcastcatw at gmail.com. That's podcastcatw at gmail.com. We've got a big week against Liverpool on Wednesday. Let's beat them. And uh, stay tuned for all the Premier League FanFest information that's coming in the next few weeks. Keep the faith, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much.